Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul's taking calls 0818 103 103 and texts and WhatsApps already up and running at 0862 103 103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love uh, to hear from you. Needless to say, all of the papers today carrying photographs of those two gorgeous, gorgeous young teenagers all bedecked in their Debs outfits photographs that were obviously taken within hours of that tragic, dreadful accident that happened on uh, Monday uh, night. And I think Catherine Feagan in the Irish Independent, I think sums it up really beautifully when she says, you know, it was the biggest night in their young school lives, Deb's night. And there would be months and months of excitement and anticipation. And finally, the wait is uh, over. And she talks about a, a, a typical scene in houses that have happened all over the country and will continue to happen uh, in in many, many households because we're into the Debs uh, season and that she's describing the atmosphere in the McCann household. That's it was Kia McCann's uh, house. Everyone had gathered to see the girls off. It was one of joy. It was one of pride. There was balloons. There were champagne toasts. Cameras were flashing. All the family and the friends and the neighbours were all in. Everybody saying how well the girls uh, looked and the photographs that are picked up in all of the papers are of uh, Kia McCann. Kia was just 17. She had picked this beautiful red sequenced dress uh, to wear and then her best friend Dalava Mohammed, who was 16 she had uh, chosen a blue satin gown and as I say that picture of the two of them are picked up in all of the uh, papers. Um, and it seems they there was a coach, there was a number of coaches running to the Debs. The Debs was going to be held in the Western Arms Hotel. But this group of young people decided that they wanted to go in style. And they had a friend of the McCann's had a white BMW. So the gentleman who owned the car said that he would take them, he'd chauffeur drive them uh, to the uh, Debs. And that's how five of them going to the Debs ended, ended or sorry, four of them going to the Debs ended up in the car. Now, the exact circumstances of what happened on the stretch of road but, um, in County Man and that is yet to be established but obviously the Gardaí are looking into that at the moment. Now um, Delava's sister was the other young 18 year old who was in the car and the other 18 year old boy was Anthony McGlynn. They're both in hospital. They both remain in critical condition. Or Anthony McGlynn is the driver. They remain in critical condition and then Oshin Clerkin is the other 18 year old. He received uh, treatment for what's been described as non-life threatening 
evening uh, injuries. But obviously it was quarter to seven on Monday evening. They were on their way to the Western Arms Hotel where the Debs was to be held. This dreadful accident happened. And then, of course, word began to trickle through that something very seriously had happened to this group from Largy College on their way to the Debs. So obviously immediately the Debs was uh, cancelled. So then in spend, instead of spending a night dancing and laughing, dozens of teenagers found themselves in a state of shock and bewilderment over the loss of two of their, uh, their classmates. So what happened was the school opened their doors and the buses came back from the hotel um, and came back to the school. And then when they were back at the school, they were then collected by all of their parents. And therefore, for all the wrong reasons, the last day of July will forever leave a mark on Largy College and the class of 2023. It was supposed to be a night to remember, the night that they all showed up in their finery, let loose and simply had some fun. And tragically, what started out as a night of joy and celebration in the McCann family home ended in unimaginable loss on the side of the road. And now we have two best friends dressed in their Debs ball gowns, taken all too soon. God help them and God help uh, the families and what they have to go through over the next uh, few days. So uh, we send our condolences to the Mohammed and the McCann uh, family on the loss of Delava and uh, Kia and just hope that the others in that car uh, make full recovery. It really is just so, so tragic. 0818 uh, John Paul taking calls. We're always trying to do our bit uh, here on the programme to keep us all updated about different scams that are doing the rounds, whether they're scam text, scam calls or scam uh, emails. And I'm reading in the papers today that the prevalence of scam calls and messages has increased in, in recent years with most mobile phone users now reporting that they have everyone I don't I don't think I don't know anyone who can't say that they haven't received either a scam call or a text message but research has been commissioned by uh, Comreg that's the telecoms uh, regulator and they're indicating that last year in Ireland there was about 365 cases of fraudulent scams and that's on average a thousand a day. More than 5,000 businesses became victims of fraud after receiving either a scam call or a text while there was multiple reports of recent scams including those proposing to be you haven't paid your motorway toll uh, there was one scams coming in from the bank from on post and then the latest one that we're hearing a lot of here is somebody you know someone letting on to be your son or your daughter and that they've lost or broken their phone and this is their new number and sometimes it can sound like the child is in distress and obviously if you have a child in distress you're going to respond uh, immediately but the overall what they're calling total harms to society according to uh, and they're saying this is a conservative estimate. They reckon every year that about 300 million euro is lost to these fraudsters. That is a huge, huge sum of money. And Comreg are saying that is a conservative estimate. And to combat to combat these scams now, Comreg is proposing to require the mobile phone operators to implement several technical interventions to combat scams. Scam calls and texts, and, and I really do. Comreg is, Comreg is right. The mobile phone operators have got to step up and t- to do more to protect their uh, customers. The telecoms regulator also uh, assessed an, an SMS, that's a, a text scam, uh, to see could they put a scam filter in place to block scam 
texts and protect against more of some or more sophisticated causes into the future. This intervention, though, would require a change in the legislation. So Comreg now is engaging with its parent company and obviously Comreg falls under the remit of the Department of Communications to try to progress uh, regulations. And I think if it needs a law change, then bring it in. Uh, I mean, anything that can save people losing money. But to think every year about 300 million euro is lost from households and from businesses. It's a shocking, shocking figure. And just on scams, this is one that I heard about yesterday and it seems to be doing the rounds and it's to do with Coldplay uh, fans. And as we know, a lot of Coldplay fans were disappointed last week when they failed to get tickets to the band's Croke Park gigs uh, next year. So fans now are being urged, please be cautious. There has been a string of scams unfolding on social media. Now, we remember what happened was last week the band they initially announced two dates for Dublin's Crow Park in August of next year but then obviously there was a huge demand for those two gigs so they were quickly got increased to four nights instead but as soon as tickets to the gigs went on general sale last Friday Twitter was thronged with accounts alleging to have tickets for the concert up on Twitter for resale now a lot of Fellow users were very quick to point out that the ticket seller Ticketmaster will not allow the resale or the transfer of tickets until much closer to the dates of the concert. So they were warning people, these are scams, do not buy these these tickets. Scam artists are reported to be taking fans for hundreds of euro, euros with a lot of different ploys. But there, it's been used across various social media platforms. One report highlighted that a fan had transferred money onto the banking app Revolut and they're now currently, they realised it was a scam and they're now currently struggling to get their money back from uh, the company. Uh, warning signs of potential scammers include failure to provide a phone number or bank details or social media accounts which regularly change their user name. That should be a uh, warning bell. And as we know, there was a lot of Coldplay, Coldplay fans left distraught and ticketless and very disappointed uh, last week because they had a pre-sale. I think that was on the Tuesday of last week. They sold out really quickly. Then the general sale tickets went up on Friday morning and we were on air. They went on sale at 10 o'clock and I'd say by half 10 we were starting to get texts and calls in from people very, very frustrated with problems that they were having with Ticketmaster and it was to do more I think, with the volume of people trying to log on and then people realising that they were in queues where there was tens of thousands of people ahead of them and they were never going to get the tickets. So straight away scam artists jump on that and they see people are so upset and so distraught about not getting tickets to a gig that they really want to go to. So that makes them all the more vulnerable and easier to persuade that I've got tickets to sell when I actually don't have tickets at all. So please beware and be careful. Mandy has contacted the programme this morning. She wants to start a little bit of a debate and the debate is around Halloween. She was in a uh, shop this morning and uh, the first thing that caught her eye was all these autumnal-like fake flowers. And she's thinking, God, is this year going faster than I think? And then she spotted pumpkins sitting up next to it and she realised, oh my God, they got their Halloween decorations out. And where are we at on the 3rd of uh, August? She thinks it is way, way too soon. She wants to know, would other... other people agree with her they're putting out Halloween decorations at the start of August we haven't even got the children gone back to uh, school could they not at least wait until the end of September and then have a 
we're one month running into uh, Halloween. But I suppose the argument is that, you know, it'll be the same. We'll have, we'll have the same argument in another few weeks when some of the Christmas stores will start to open at the end of August. Uh, and I suppose the argument is if shops wouldn't be putting these merchandise out and, you know, unless people were buying them. I mean, they know that people do like to buy. Some people like to buy a little bit every week and shop early and all of that. But yeah, Halloween at the start of August does seem a bit early. I did hear somebody say that yesterday they were in one of the supermarkets in the city and the boxes, you know, the boxes of sweets for Christmas <laughs> that they were starting to stock those in the celebrations the heroes the roses they were already starting to come in at the beginning of uh, August that to me again is is a bit too early so your thoughts welcomed on that is it too early for Halloween at the start of August to start even thinking about Halloween let alone going out and buying uh, items my big problem with that is I'd buy, if I saw something that I really liked and cute or whatever and think oh, that'd be nice I'd buy it and put it away and then I'd probably forget about it and then Halloween would, would come and go and I probably find it next Easter because believe me that has happened in my household so I'm I'm slow enough to buy too early. 0818103103 another day for our tickets with the Cork Opera House for Lord of the Dance. The show is 25 years celebrating uh, this year with a 25th anniversary tour. Lord of the Dance, of course, it's the follow-on. It was the follow-on show for Michael Flatley from the huge success that he had with uh, Riverdance. And the 25th anniversary show comes with new staging, new costumes, choreography, plus cutting-edge technology. And Lord of the Dance 25th anniversary show will open in the Cork Opera House on Wednesday night the 9th of August and it ha- it is for a five night run. We have a pair of tickets we'll give them away today on the programme and on Friday we will put all of our five daily winners into the hat and one person gets their prize upgraded and we'll get an additional hotel stay and uh, dinner so stay tuned for a question around the 25th anniversary tour of Lord of the Dance. Now new legislation that came into effect this week as part of the government's action plan for insurance reform could help to reduce claims and ultimately the cost of insurances, especially for businesses. To find out more, I'm joined by Brian Handley of the Alliance for Insurance Reform and Brian is their CEO. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, this new law aims to rebalance the duty of care. Can you just outline how this is going to work? Certainly. So essentially what we think is that this is a kind of a common sense and proportionate rebalancing of the duty of care as between occupiers and people that come and members of the public that might go onto their onto their property. <clears throat> so there's a certain duty owed to, to people, uh, whether they, they, they come on as, as guests or as, as visitors and so on, or even as trespassers. Um, but what happens now and what has changed with the legislation is that there's a requirement now for people coming onto property to exercise a reasonable degree of care for their own safety. There's an onus on people to be responsible for their actions. Um, now, what it doesn't do is it doesn't change um, if, for example, there's a hazard on a property and that the landowner or the occupier knows this and doesn't um, is reckless about it and somebody's injured. Well, it's still possible, of course, to claim for any injury arising from, from that negligence. But the change of emphasis now is that people must take a reasonable degree of care for their own safety. So I suppose the example I'd I give is if I'm at a, a shopping centre and they have put in steps to get down a, a small hill to the car park and I decide to take a shortcut to my car and go down the grassy embankment that's wet and I slip and break my ankle. 
well, I wouldn't be in a position to, to, to bring a claim because that's down to my own actions and my own behaviour. So it's really quite common sense, the change that, that's been brought in. Uh, the legislation also restricts the circumstances in which trespassers can pursue a claim. And the last big change really is around what's called the voluntary assumption of risk. And what that just means is that as an adult, I can knowingly decide to partake in some activity that might have a, an increased risk profile relative to something else. So, for example, if I wanted to go and play five-a-side soccer this evening, well, there's always a chance that I might, I might injure myself. And assuming that the, the, the astro pitch and the premises are in good, good condition, well, if I were to injure myself playing the game through nobody's fault but my own, um, well, then it would be, I wouldn't be, I'd have assumed the risk and I'd have, I'd have um, waived the occupier's liability in respect of my behaviour on the pitch. So it's quite another quite common sense thing, which together should help reduce um, the number of claims and ultimately we'd hope to bring and, and all of it is exactly the word you, you used uh, a few minutes ago. All of this is common sense. It is, and it's, it's, it's very welcome, and it's something that the Alliance has been pushing for for a number of years, at least five years, to get this over the line. And we're very pleased that it not only was it passed, but commenced um, quite quickly after, after it, was, it was passed, only a matter of, of weeks, because I think everyone realises that a change like this was needed. You know, we're, what we hope it'll do as well is that it will reduce the number of minor slips, trips and falls going through the courts. You know the type of unjustifiable claims that kind of that that harm. Um, you know where there's no negligence attached to it. You know, but people often assume that these claims are, are victimless. You know, with just the big insurance company that picks up the bill. But in reality, what happens is the insurers simply pass it on to policyholders, mm. whether they're businesses or charities, voluntary groups, and so on. We so all pay con- for it. We all pay for it. Yeah, exactly and I think that. you know you can open the newspaper any day, and you know you'll read a story of a case where somebody had like that, like as you say, a minor trip, slip, or fall, um, and it, there was no really long-term injury, and you'll see that they walked away with thousands of euro, and and, and it really frustrates people. I think when when you read those cases. But I, I often think about this, um, Brian. I mean, years ago, there was always people having, you know, slips and falls. Children fell in the playground, might have broken an arm, might have broken a leg. But you went home and you got patched up and you got fixed up. When did we become so litigious that the first thing we seem to do is, is call the solicitor? Well, this is it. I mean, there are such things as accidents. Yeah. And not every accident is somebody else's fault requiring compensation. Uh, I think there's, I mean, look, the vast majority of people wouldn't consider. So it'd be much like, as you described, how we would do it. These things happen, we get on with it. And we don't go looking for somebody to blame, particularly if it's our own responsibility for what happened and it was just an accident. Um, but there is a need, I think, for these types of claims. And that's what the, the Alliance has, is, has launched its Enough is Enough campaign this week, really to say that we need to, we need to stop these types of claims. They need to become more socially unacceptable. Mm. Um, you know, because it does, as you said yourself, it does rub people the wrong way when you hear about these claims and people taking money because it costs all of us. I had, a, I had a friend of mine, I'm just thinking of it a few years ago, who was walking into a, a supermarket and the, you know, the floor was a bit wet because it was a wet day and she slipped. And, and this other uh, woman ran over to her and said, stay on the ground, I've witnessed it, I'm, I'm timing you. Oh, you stay and she said, would you just help me up, please? You know what I mean? And she said she couldn't believe this other woman, you could put a claim in, you could put it. She said, I don't want to put a claim in, just help me up. I'm more mortified that I've fallen. But unfortunately, there is, as you say, it's a small minority of, of people and you'll often see it through the courts, Brian, people who seem to be very unlucky and very unfortunate because they seem to be in and out of court for multiple accidents. 
Well, indeed, it's remarkable how unfortunate some people yeah, are yeah. Uh, with, with these things. I think the other thing to point out, though, in terms of the changes, one is really we want to see a reduction in those types of claims, those unjustifiable ones. But the other side of this, in truth, this all these changes, like the, the, the change now to the duty of care and the increase in personal responsibility, comes alongside a number of other changes that have been made with the introduction of the judicial guidelines to replace the book of quantum. And this has created kind of a more tight bands in terms of the type of awards that are applicable for injuries so they're, they're more closely aligned to the injury actually incurred and has resulted in significant drops in the level of awards paid out. We also know that the, the level of claims coming through the system has reduced quite significantly. So when you take all those actions together, and a lot of people across society have, have really put in an effort to make these changes, but they'll count for nothing without a reduction in, in public liability and liability premium because they're crippling for, for businesses and community groups um, right up and down the country. Every community is impacted by this issue. So really, when you, when you have all those things going in its favour, the one outstanding piece is it has to be reflected, these changes, in insurance premiums. And if not, I think serious questions would need to be asked both of the government and ultimately of insurance companies. A mm. uh, text in from a listener saying, Patricia, listening with great interest to your conversation regarding insurance claims. Please, please, please tell me that they have st- this will stop a burglar claiming if they injured themselves while breaking into your house to rob you. And you, you did mention that there is there is going to be there is a change here. There, there, there is absolutely a change there. It restricts the circumstances in which trespassers, which I would, would apply here, uh, may pursue a successful claim. And in fact, um, they would, it requires a court determining um, that it would be in the interest of justice for them to succeed in their claim, which is a far higher threshold than, we, than any other case would ordinarily have to come by. Um, so it, it, is, it has restricted it quite significantly. It was always the most ludicrous thing, wasn't it? Somebody could break into your house, get injured and then put a claim in against you. It just, I mean, it defied logic. This was a very important change that was introduced on Monday. There's no doubt about it because, as you said, it really upset a lot of people that people could bring those claims. So, say, really in exceptional circumstances would be my reading of it. Um, you know, because it would be very difficult threshold to say it's in the interest of justice that somebody would succeed when they're when they're trespassing, you know, as a burglar would be. So, so certainly, I think it's a very welcome part. Um, and hopefully, I mean, really, all oh, what we need now is for all of this to be. Mm. Meaningfully, meaningfully implemented. You know, there's all the different aspects around the personal responsibility that I get, me assuming the risk if I want to partake in an activity, and then the piece around um, trespassers and so on. So that's that's the next step now, and we have to monitor and watch this space very carefully. Because unfortunately, Brian, we have seen businesses close, um, especially leisure centres and play centres for for children, and and the owners have cited the unsustainable insurance premiums. I mean, it, it, this goes right to the kind of the fabric of our communities. It's the local, it is the local play centre or, or leisure centre, the local small business, or it's it's the, it's the local festival that's had every year or something yeah, like that. Yeah. I think Shandon, Shandon Festival was cancelled this year, and I think one of the reasons was well, given sure. was for that was was insurance. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 a societal issue. It affects all of us, and and that's why we're we're pushing so hard with our enough is enough campaign uh, that these types of claims come to an end, and ultimately the proof will be in the reduction of premiums. So okay. that's organisations can survive and thrive. We wish you luck with the Enough is Enough uh, campaign, Brian, because we're all behind you on it for sure. Listen, thank you um, for joining us on the programme this morning.
My pleasure. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Brian Handley, who is the CEO of the Alliance of Insurance Reform with that new legislation, which, by the way, came into operation on uh, Monday. Uh, Hopefully we will now start to see the end of those unjustifiable uh, claims, particularly those ones for those minor slips, trips and falls. And just following on our insurance uh, issue and that this new law will mean uh, people must take more responsibility for their own safety. Somebody citing the example that was used by uh, Brian Hanley of the Alliance of Insurance Reform and says, so if I decide to walk down that grassy slope and there are no warning signs and I've signed no liability waiver, I feel that I still want to sue. Can I? Well, I suppose the whole argument there, the, the example that Brian used was there's steps leading down to the car park. So the steps are put in place by the supermarket and it's beside a grassy verge. The grassy slope is slippy. They've put the steps in place so you don't have to walk down the grassy slope with the possibility of slipping on a wet day. So the argument is that you're responsible for your own safety. So why would you want to sue? You chose to go down the grassy slope rather than to walk down the steps that were provided. The supermarket in that incident did everything to make sure that you could safely get to your car by walking down steps rather than going down a grassy slope that might be uh, slippy. So I would be asking why would you decide to sue when you made the decision to take the route that was more dangerous than going down the steps? 0818 Now, authorities have been urged to deal once and for all with the ghost ship that has blighted the East Cork coastline since it washed up uh, early in 2020. Local councillor Michael Hegarty once again joins me about this particular shipwreck. Uh, Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Now, I'm very well, thank you. Now, it's the ghost ship MV Alta. It washed up. I had to actually check the date on this yesterday when I knew I'd be talking with you about it. It was just before, actually, we went into the global uh, pandemic. It was February of uh, 2020. Now, I remember speaking with you at the time and it was to do with trying to discourage people from visiting the area. Some people were trying to get on board, uh, for example. Firstly, has that problem stopped? Have people stopped going down to, to look at the shipwreck? Yes. Um, right. There was, uh, I suppose, a study carried out under by the department um, from a health and safety perspective. And as a result of that, um, some fencing has been erected and signage has been uh, put up. Okay. And also, looked in, that was in consultation with local landowner and so forth. Now, like since we spoke that time, okay, and all the environmental issues were dealt with on ship as regards the removal of oil and any other materials that would be deemed um, environmentally dangerous to, to our waters. But the, I suppose the bottom line in this, um, Patricia, is, look, the Marine Salvage and, and Rec Act, as currently written, quite honestly, is very, very uh, weak piece of legislation. Like what we need is a strong and ambitious marine legislation. And, you see, the Department of Marine, right, it falls, it, it, once upon a time, it was a, um, a ministry in its own right. And that was changed some years back, and now it is the Department of Agriculture and Marine. And quite honestly, it is probably the poor relation there. Now, as it currently stands, um, Cork County Council does not have any funding or monies for, um, we'll say, this multi-million, I suppose, um, salvage. Um, the department doesn't appear to be, uh, in, you know, in encouraging any further action. And 
the Department of Transport, which has overall responsibility, is falls in under the remit of, of Minister Eamon Ryan. And it's quite strange that when you speak about belly cotton, um, and, and drifts slightly now from this, but as you're aware, there is um, a major dredging operation to happen in belly cotton. Yeah. We have been, uh, I suppose, looking for this for some years. And when Cork County Council made an application to the EPA to seek a dumping at sea licence back in uh, the summer of 21, and to date, we still have not got the clearance for that licence, even though the, the, where the dumping at sea licence has been sought after, that is already a licence area with the Port of Cork. And unfortunately, 1.8 million was um, allocated to, for this project. And if we do not get clearance to do that within the next few days, that money will be lost. Oh. And there is danger that um, we'll say for we'll say you've the lifeboat, you've fishermen, and you've pleasure craft. But the big worry is that the lifeboat, on certain tidal conditions, if it doesn't happen shortly and, and an emergency is, is called upon, the lifeboat may be in danger of, of getting out. And what's, so, ho- what's holding that up, um, Michael? Um, what we've been told is by the EPA, as, again, as I said, which falls in under the remit of Minister Eamon Ryan, that they're concentrating on, on the offshore wind project and effectively that this piece of, uh, of uh, this, this requirement for the licence has been with them since that time. They requested some further information, which Cork County Council sent back to them quite detailed. So it's not that they're looking at this application for the first time. It has been sitting on their desk since um, August 21. And like, it's, it's absolutely... Uh, crazy and it's so worrying and so frustrating that um, this is the way that another arm of the state is operating and that is the EPA. Yeah and and yes they're leaving Cork County Council uh, and the good people of East Cork with this shipwreck just lying there off the coast of um, off the coast of Ballycotton and it seems very unfair Michael that Cork County Council would be financially responsible to yeah, get rid yeah. of this, I mean, it was, it's not—it's not you. It's not your fault that this ship ended up on the rocks of Valley Cotton. No, and like I mean, there was a lot of, I suppose, research done to see if the owners could be could be found or located. Yeah, and look, all that fell fell on deaf ears. So it's. Um, but somebody like, has to own this. Yeah, boat. yeah. And, I mean. Whichever department takes responsibility for it, this has to be dealt with. And like as I said, we need strong and ambitious legislation that's implementable, that can stand in its own merits, and that cannot be challenged. And you know that there's no weak points in it. Yeah, and and three years on, we're not still discussing what's to be done uh, with with the shipwreck. And I'm assuming since February of uh, 2020, over three years ago now. I'm assuming, has further damage been done to the wreck? Because we've had a, had a number of other storms since it first washed up. Uh, it, it has, like it has split in half. Uh, 
you know. So it's it is um uh, look, it's an awful blight on, 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 on the landscape to see it there. And you know, as you said, it was just before the, 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 the lockdown on the pandemic. Yeah. And look, people I suppose went there as, as to view to maybe try and get out and get some fresh air and look it it caused a lot of I suppose uh, Inconvenience. Thank God the road down to Valley and Dreen has been upgraded in recent times because that really fell into disrepair with all the extra traffic and and so forth. But again, look, um, I think that our legislators and in particular, I would urge our full Dáil deputies in Cork East to ensure that a strong piece of legislation is introduced, implemented, and some department takes responsibility for it. Yeah. Somebody somebody says, does, does Michael know why this ship was left to drift after the engines failed and the crew were uh, rescued? I mean, all I, all I know is uh, Padre Corr was uh, writing about it in the Examiner and he just said that when the US Coast Guard rescued the crew, it was more than 2,000 kilometres off Bermuda. And the ship was then abandoned and then left drifting until it came to its final stop on the Cork uh, coast. There's never been a reason given, has there, as to why it was just left drift? No, but to me, you'd imagine that the US Coast Guard, that there was an onus and a responsibility on them once they rescued the, the, the crew on board, yeah. that there should have been an obligation on them to, to ensure that the, that the ship was made safe. I mean, when one considers, and if you look at the map of the distance that it travelled, Travelling through shipping lanes, how it didn't hit any other uh, boat or ship is is amazing. Like, it's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. How it didn't cause a major accident um, yeah. out out at sea. Do we have any idea, uh, numbers wise, how much would it cost to get to salvage a ship like this and and, and remove it? Apparently, you're talking multi million. Is um, it? Yeah, because well. to to. To we'll say the equipment that is required to to I suppose to um, to get it to the area and offlift this and just cranes it's a very very sophisticated and job and it's also um, I suppose quite a dangerous uh, procedure as well and like there's only a few specialised companies I gather out there that that deal with this type of of uh, operation. But at this stage, it's just gone on too long. Somebody has to step up to the mark and say, whatever department it is, to say we'll take responsibility. Yeah, I agree, wholeheartedly agree with you. And uh, I mean, you know, our budgets are limited enough in Cork County Council. We just do not have the money for it. And to be fair to the team in Cork County Council, we've exhausted all avenues to try and... and, um, and get this situation resolved, but unfortunately, appears to be banging on on closed doors to a certain degree. Yeah, John in Cove says, "Was the ship reported to the authorities, such as the port of uh, Cork? And if so, why wasn't it towed out to sea and then sunk, either by the Irish Navy or the British Navy?" I take it from an environmental point of view, that's not the best thing to do with a shipwreck, is it? I, I don't think it would be, but the port. You'd only have responsibility if that ship uh, entered into part of their territory. They then would have a responsibility and an onus on them. Um, if it's, that's the only area I think that Port of Cork would have a responsibility and jurisdiction for. Um, 
if uh, you know when just floating out at sea, the Department of Marine I think would have had um, responsibility. But when it where it landed and hit the the, the rocks and the cliff face in, in Ballycotton, it lies within the the local authorities' remit, which is. Um, to me, it's nonsensical, really. And and just not fair. It's, it simply is oh. not, not fair. I also find it very hard that um, we haven't been able to, and the authorities haven't been able uh, to uh, work out who the owners were. The owners still have not been identified. I, I still, that the mind boggles how you can have a ship of this size. We know the date that the US Coast Guard rescued uh, the crew. We know where they were rescued uh, from. Uh, we know where it was sailing. I mean, it got built in 1976. It was originally on course from Greece to Haiti in the Caribbean on in October of 2018 before the engines failed. So we even know where it was going, where it came from, where it was going to. And yet they're all claiming nobody knows who owns the ship. To me, that just doesn't make sense at all. Anyway, uh, it goes on. But something has to be done, Michael. That's your message today. Oh, certainly, certainly, Patricia. And the sooner, sooner the better. OK, listen, Michael, we'll keep in contact with you on this one. Thanks for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Uh, that is uh, East Cork uh, uh, Councillor Michael Hegarty on the MV Alta, uh, the wreck which is still now off the coast of East Cork. It's off rocks uh, near Ballycotton. And, of course, since it first washed up in uh, 2020, we've had successive storms which obviously have battered this shipwreck and is causing it now to break up. People in the North Cork area continue to have concerns about the South Dock service in Formoy, which services Formoy, Mitchellstown and a wider geographical uh, area. People are particularly concerned because the Red Eye service, which is from 10 o'clock at night until uh, 8am, that is closed now in uh, Formoy. But people are worried that they could lose what South Dock service they have there already. Esther uh, joins me because a number of people have been organising for um, petitions to be signed and indeed organising protests and vigils have also been held outside the South Dock in Formoy. Good morning to you, Esther. Good morning, Patricia. Esther, a lot of local concerns. Are you afraid that you're going to completely lose the South Dock service? Yes, we are afraid that that could happen down the line, that um, it could go altogether. And at the moment you have it from 6 until 10, isn't it? That's right, yeah. There's a doctor there from 6 until 10. And then if you ring after 10, South Dock, you'll be... The same thing will happen, but you'll be... You'll have to go to Mellow, Middleton or Cork to see a South Dock doctor. And the whole idea of South Dock is to have a doctor close by. I mean, that was the reason that it was set up. And, and it's the reason that it has worked so well in the past when a doctor was based locally. And are, are you hearing, Esther, from people that they're now fearful that they might get sick out of hours? Definitely. I'm hearing from um, older people, you know, that are living on their own at night. Yeah. And a particular fellow, he got sick and um, he was able to get into his car. He had to drive 10 minutes to for my and um, he was seen so he was happy but now that service is gone that the likes of the older people like this they have no way of travelling to Mellor do you know yeah even the ones even the ones that are able to drive even the ones that are able to drive yeah like it's a half an hour or an hour you're going to be travelling now in a bad winter's night 
you know, the older people, I just feel so sorry for them. Families with sick children, I've listened to them that, you know, with asthma, with chest infections going out late at night, and they now have to travel an hour or over an hour and maybe wait two or three hours to get a doctor because Mellow is going to get a lot busier now because of my yeah, and you know, it's always the point I make and there's a there's an issue as well with the the red eye service in Canturk. And it's it's always the issue that I make when people think, Oh God, aren't we lucky that we've got the South Stock service here uh, in our own town, wherever you are, be it if you're in the city or uh, as as you say for the people of Mallow. But that's exactly what's going to happen because that's what's happened with the A and E departments. When they closed all the smaller A and E departments, it puts huge pressure on the only A and E department that's o- open, it's going to put massive pressure on the yeah. other South Stock services. So everyone gets affected by this. Everybody, the nursing homes as well. I've been to a lot of the nursing homes, and they are frightful as well. You know the local nursing homes because they rely on um, South Stock. Yeah, of course I've they been do. Into, I've been into factories where they could call an out of hours doctor a couple of times at night. For casualties. Now they have to travel to Mellow or a doctor has to travel from Mellow to Fumari. So how long does that take? Yeah, and then the doctor is gone from the South Dock service. So everybody mm. who's 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 driving to get the appointment are all sitting waiting for the doctor to come back. Yes, that's it, yeah. And they yeah. could have to travel an hour to get to Fumari or get to Mitchellstown from Mellow. And and you know the Mellow Road, like Not they're great. always doing it up. Not great, and and not fair on. Can I say not fair on the on the GP that's on duty either? It's putting huge pressure on the doctor on call. Well, it is definitely putting huge pressure on the on the doctor on call. Yeah, but um, and I know GPs, doctors, they're all entitled to holidays, and and we all understand the pressure they're under. But it, I don't know. It just seems. I don't know what the story was. They need. They need to get more doctors. They need to get more doctors employed under yeah. under under the South Stock. And you you think of, and we've all been there in the in the past when the children were younger. But you think of a sick child at you know two a.m. in the morning, and yeah. all you want to do is to get to a doctor, maybe to get an antibiotic or whatever it is, or just a reassurance that the child is going to be okay. And the yeah. thought of having to put them into a car and then drive. Instead of down the road to your doctor, it's just it's yeah. it's, it's shameful. Okay, you've been organising, uh, Lester, in the Fromoy, uh, Mitchellstown area. I know you've been organising. I know I was talking about it last week. There was a petition doing the rounds last weekend. Is that still available? Yeah, yeah there's books um, in a lot of premises in Mitchellstown, Fromoy, Rekorma, Connor, Kesselines. Um, people have been very good. They've they've taken the petition books. Great. And we were outside Super Value last Friday and for my last Saturday with petition books. So we've a lot of them um, covered. So as we said one last push now that we give a protest in Mitchellstown on Saturday. Okay. At um, half past 12, but for people to gather around quarter past 12. Um, it's near the library out Mill Road. Just, wa- just to highlight how important this service is. Yeah, definitely, yeah, because, like, I don't think even a lot of people realise how important it is that if it's gone, it's gone, and it's just... I am just very worried myself about it. I, people, 
things don't worry me, but this is just after taking over my life. I'm ah, Esther, oh, God help you. Uh, yeah. and, and I understand it. Listen, I absolutely understand it because unfortunately uh, we don't get sick and we don't have accidents between nine and five. No, You get no. sick outside of those hours and therefore yeah. a doctor uh, should be uh, available. Um, okay, and, uh, and and then when you've all of the petitions, when you finally have your petitions uh, as many signatures as you can gather. What do you hope to do with the petitions? We are um, bringing them down to uh, the headquarters in Killarney. That's where the South Dock um, headquarters is. Okay. So we're just going to bring them down there and hopefully they'll meet us. Okay, but anyone who feels as strongly as you do, Esther, please turn up um, outside the library in Mitchestown this Saturday for 12.30. And in the meantime, if you come across any of these petitions, uh, please, please uh, sign it. Because um, uh, somebody is making the point that the thoughts of nearly 10,000 extra people having to use the services of the South Dock in Mallow or the South Dock in uh, Cork City, they are already stretched to the, to the uh, limits. limits. Yeah, and and you, you don't want to go to an A&E department. That's for sure. Imagine going in there with a kidney infection, yeah. like, you know, and waiting well, yeah. all night to be seen. Yeah, just for an antibiotic that a doctor could have given you a prescription for. It's, it's yeah. crazy. We're putting too much pressure on the A&E staff uh, as and well. And the ambulance. The ambulance service is going to be overwhelmed as well because people are going to have to ring the ambulance if you can't get to a doctor. Yeah. Okay. You know, so there's a lot of... Um, and I just want to say thanks very much to the councillors, the local councillors and TV that... They're doing it all in their party. In fairness, they are. They all see how important this service yeah, is. Yeah, they're doing great work now. I must say thanks very much to them that they took on and they're helping us every way they can. We just need South Dock, the management of South Dock, to listen. To listen, yeah. And they're not. They're saying there's no changes. Well, That's what they're saying back to us, that there is no changes and there will not be no changes, even though it is closed from 10. Yeah. The premises is not there. Like. Yeah, and it's the same in Canturk. Yeah, uh, and yeah. it's the same, we covered it in West Cork as well. Okay, listen, uh, Esther, good luck with it. Stay in contact with us, with us, will you, and, and let us know how you're getting on with it. Yeah. But uh, thank you for your call today. Okay, thank you very uh, much. Good morning Patricia. to you. Bye-bye, okay, bye-bye. Bye. That is uh, Esther, one of many people very, very concerned in the North Cork area about the future of uh, South Stock. Some of your calls coming in, I mentioned Halloween. I don't know what you're talking about Halloween for, because Halloween decorations have started to appear in some of the shops and the supermarkets. Deirdre said, yeah, I noticed those Halloween decorations this morning as well. I could not believe it. It feels way too soon at the start of August for Halloween decorations. Lisa Ballon-Hassig said, OK, well, it might be too early for Halloween. Uh, and she, she says, well, she can understand why people are saying it is too early. Lisa contacted us this morning to admit she's already started buying presents for Christmas. Uh, she said a lot of people to buy for obviously and it's the best way to do it. You can budget it out over the year so she's already started her Christmas uh, decorations <laughs> Christmas present buying. Uh, thank you for that uh, Lisa. 0818 103 103 and Mary was on to us when we were talking about insurance in the last hour and the hope that the minor trips and slips and falls that really people don't need to be suing for. There's been changes in the laws. Now if somebody genuinely is injured then yes they will be entitled to compensation but it's to try to stop the exaggerated claims uh, more than anything and also when people don't take responsibility themselves so the accident was really caused by somebody's own stupidity common sense as we mentioned seems to hopefully will start to prevail when it comes to insurance claims Mary said her friend's terrier dog was hit by a jeep obviously ran out of the road the jeep hit it the jeep owner then claimed off 
Mary's friend's house insurance uh, got €7,000 for damage done to his Jeep and also claimed €12,000 because he suffered trauma for hitting Mary's friend's terrier. And I'm assuming if that much damage was done to the Jeep and that much trauma was done to the man driving the car, do I assume that the terrier dog uh, died as well? But of course, we know if you do own a dog and if it is, if it can be proven that the accident was caused by the dog, then they can claim from your house insurance. Uh, 0818 103 103, lines open. C103 Jobs. Aragon Nursing Home, Boerbury. They've got a vacancy for a head chef. CVs, please, to chris at araglinhouse.ie. School bus driver is required for the Kinsale Balance Spittle area. A D licence is required. 087 4799466. Oliver Casey Plantar. They've got a vacancy for a rigid truck driver based in Mallow. It's for delivering plant and machinery. You must have a full clean sea licence. CVs please to olivercaseyhire at gmail.com. And an early years educator is needed to work in the Bantry area. CVs please to kalekillchildcare at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. As consumers, we've been warned to brace ourselves for another raft of price hikes and that's despite an easing in the rate of inflation. To talk about some of the possible price increases in the coming weeks and months, I'm joined by Dara Cassidy of the price comparison website bonkers.ie. Good morning to you, Dara. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, um, you're welcome. Now, there's a range of different items and services uh, that are going to uh, cost more, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But reading from today's papers, the levy that subsidises renewable energy operators, this is the public services op- obligation, the PSO, mm-hmm. that's to be set at zero for the next year. Good news, bad news. Can we be happy with that? <laughs> It's good news and it's bad news. It's good news in the sense that it's obviously not adding to bills. Just quickly to explain to listeners what the PSO levy is. It's a levy that helps subsidise renewable energy generation, so wind farms, solar farms, um, because they're guaranteed a price for the electricity they produce. And sometimes that price is actually higher, believe it or not, than the wholesale price of electricity so then the PSO levy is used to top them up uh, to subsidise them but because the wholesale price of electricity is so high uh, they don't need to be topped up with any payments um, so that's why there is no PSO levy needed for the upcoming year so in, in some ways yes it's nice that this charge which has been as high as over 100 euro a year in the past isn't being levied this year but the reason it's not being levied is because electricity prices are just sky high and are forecast to remain sky high for the foreseeable future so it looks like good news Patricia but really yeah, it's kind of actually bad yeah, news yeah. Okay, uh, talks, let's, start, let's start then with fuel um, carbon tax, that's due to increase isn't it? <laughs> 
It is. Carbon tax is going to go up in the next budget, and that's going to hit fuel prices. So petrol, diesel, gas, um, your, 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 your annual gas bill is going to go up by around another €17 Euro a year home heating oil. On top of that, though, um, the excise duty cut is being restored. So at the height of the cost of living crisis, although, mind you, it kind of still seems like we're in it, uh, the government did reduce the excise duty on petrol and diesel. That is now, though, being restored, and there's some hefty hikes coming in October and September that will add around 15 cents to a litre of petrol and 11 cents to a litre of diesel. And then the carbon tax increase is going to add another two cents to uh, petrol and diesel. So come November, Patricia, most of us are really going to see it at the pump. So they need to be budgeting for that, unfortunately. I think what's annoying with the excise uh, duty, like, and a lot of people have pointed it out, do the government really need that money at the moment? They do seem to be awash with money in the exchequer. They do, and they don't seem to know how to spend it. Um, and there's a lot of waste, I think, going on in certain sections of the government. That's probably a topic for another day, although some sections and some areas of the government do, of course, work very, 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 very hard. But you're right. I mean, the government doesn't seem to know what to do with the money at the moment. And, um, you know, our, our excise duty is, is, believe it or not, it's kind of average. I know we probably think that we're taxed to the hills, um, but it is around average. But I guess the, the flip side is that, particularly outside of Dublin public transport is just so poor that a lot of people have to rely on their cars and in other countries where maybe excise duty is just as high public transport is way way better we don't have that luxury in Ireland of giving up the car at least a lot of people won't some people in Dublin might but a lot of people won't down the country and I think that's what kind of frustrates people and um, yeah it'll be a big enough hike I mean you know come November we could see you know an extra 20 cent on the pump and we don't know what's going to happen with oil prices as well they've begun to creep up a little bit over the past um, a few weeks and they're still nowhere near the record prices they were at though around 18 months ago Um, but depending on how the price of oil goes that could obviously add to the the price of petrol and diesel at the pump as well but you can um, can start to see it already at the petrol stations it's going back up yeah yeah, you, you could. Now, that could just be um, volatility just in the actual okay. cost of refining the petrol and diesel. That may not have anything to do with um, excise duty. Um, but certainly come the end of October, um, after the, the excise has been restored and the carbon tax increase has come in, it is going to be at least uh, 17 cents on petrol and around 13 cents on diesel. So that's what, that's what people are looking at. So it could be creeping back up to around €2 Euro for um, uh, for, for petrol. Okay, and Oliver noticed while they're all, all trying to encourage us to use public transport, he said Bus Aaron increased their prices on their expressway coaches this week. Yeah, they have by 5%. Now, in fairness to the government, they've done some good work at reducing public transport on other areas. So, you know, Lewis fares, the annual um, tickets for, for, for Lewis and... And for the trains, and yeah. Like I, was on, I was on a train recently and they've come down in price. Yeah, I mean, I got a, a train to Galway, I have to say, two, two weekends ago. And I was expecting it to be about maybe 40 or 50 euro. And I booked it at the last minute and it was 16 euro. Yeah, it was 15, yeah. 99. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. So well, that's that's to try and get us out of the cars as well, though. 
Exactly. Uh, yeah. And listen, I don't have to be giving out about the government, but they did do quite well there, so they have to be commended. And a lot okay. of that came in, actually, at the behest of the Green Party. But not all, unfortunately, transport services um, received a cut. And the bus, air and intercity uh, coach services um, will be going up by 5%. And, and food, potentially, as well, uh, Patricia, is another thing that could go up over the next few weeks just because of the, the ending of the, uh, the grain deal that Russia had with Ukraine, which allowed for the safe export of grain and oil seeds yeah. and there's now a big why, fear that why is, pressure. Yeah. Why is that affecting us? Well, because Ukraine produces so much um, grain and oil seeds, which then are made to use lots of food staples, such as pasta, um, uh, you know, pasta, pizza, bread, cereals, things like that. Ukraine was sometimes referred to as the bread basket of the world. Mm. And that indirectly affects us uh, because we would use some of their uh, grain in our own products. And just the ending of that deal by Russia is going to make it a lot more difficult for Ukraine to export its grain throughout the world. There is a hope that they'll still be able to do it, but it's going to be way more expensive. Ships will need to be insured. For, 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 for much higher prices for fear of getting bombed, God love them. So, it, it, and, you know, and food inflation is still running at over 10% a year. Uh, it was at one stage <clears throat> over 13%. So it had begun to ease the rate for inflation, but prices were still going up. So this is kind of my worry because you kind of felt like we were just finally getting over um, the big increase in food prices. And now this is uh, a, a, a big worry. And already some prices on wholesale markets for these goods have begun to creep up. So we'll have to wait and see what happens in the supermarkets. OK, and of course, the minute I mentioned your name and that you were coming on the programme, the obvious question that all everybody wants to know from Dara, any sign that electricity prices will start to fall. Yeah, so electricity and gas are still at record highs and they've begun to fall in other European countries, not here at all, really. There's been no no price decrease from any of the major suppliers this year. I'm hopeful there'll be maybe a small cut of around maybe 10 to 20% over the next few weeks. But that, Patricia, is still going to leave our gas and electricity prices at really, really high levels in order for them to fall back to the more normal levels that they were at. And even then, they were still quite high, particularly electricity prices. They'd need to fall by around maybe 55 to 60 percent. So you're looking at maybe, and it's not a guarantee, you're looking at maybe a drop of 10 to 20 percent. So it is still going to be prices at very, very, very high levels for the foreseeable future. And um, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, the year seems to have gone by so quickly. We are, we are going back into now another autumn and another winter where prices at absolutely record levels. So that is something that households, unfortunately, do need to be budgeting for. I'm hoping the government is going to have some more energy supports in the budget, but households, um, particularly lower income households, unfortunately, they, they do need to be budgeting for just high energy bills this winter. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As well. Uh, yeah, and all the more reason to try to reduce your energy consumption uh, if you can as well. Switching providers, still worth a shot? It is. Now, the discounts aren't quite as big as they used to be, but they're at maybe 10% with some providers. Now, because electricity and gas prices are at such still high levels, that 10% is a saving of several hundred euro. And as I always say, we will jump through hoops to save maybe 30, 40, 50 euro on our car insurance. So, you know, save money on your gas and electricity as well. Uh, there absolutely is still savings to be made. And, and not just gas and electricity, whether it's the home insurance, because the home insurance premiums have been skyrocketing as well over the past year. They're up over 20%. Um, you know, look at getting a, a better value there, you know, your TV, your broadband. Um, there's competition for new business, but it's, the, you know, the, the new customers usually get the best deals, no matter what it is, your, um, you know, whether it's broadband, TV, gas, electricity the best deals are usually for the new customers so you need to make sure that you go out and get them okay all right so uh yeah and just and do your best and it is very easy we say it every time when we're talking about uh, switching over it is a very very uh, simple procedure and then i know these are probably some of the more luxury ones but if you like your music spotify has announced they're hiking their prices yeah, and it's not a huge one. It's only a euro, but I just, you know, I, I use Spotify daily. I absolutely love it. But when the email came in to say it was going up in price, I just kind of thought, oh, God, here's another one. And, of course, a lot of listeners will know that Netflix is clamping down on password sharing. So a lot of people are going to have to fork out for a Netflix subscription okay. for the first time. And it's just another little thing that's going up in price. And um, I don't know if I mentioned it, but, you know, airfares as well are at very, very high levels. So if anyone wants to book a last-minute getaway to get away from the awful weather, it, it, the Prices were up over thirty four percent, and so it's 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 just been kind of you know. And you said in the, in the intro, Patricia, even though inflation is falling, and you'll hear this a huge amount over the next few months, even though inflation is falling, that doesn't mean prices are necessarily dropping. It mm. just means that prices are increasing at a lower rate. And unless we see outright deflation, which unfortunately nobody is forecasting, it doesn't mean things are getting any cheaper. And um, just even quickly to reiterate the point, you know, according to the CSO, inflation in June fell to 6.1% from 6.6% and everybody was delighted and the government was saying oh we know inflation is falling. Prices actually rose over the month but close to 1% which is a very 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 big price increase in the space of just four weeks. So as my, my kind of not warning but just my advice or you know for, for listeners to remember is that price growth is going to ease over the next few months but most of your staples are probably still going to increase in price, unfortunately. So people just need to be aware and be budgeting for it. Yeah, and people know people notice when, Yeah, when you go to do your weekly shop, people are noticing. Uh, you know, no matter what, you know, if you, even if, even if you're trying to reduce the items you're putting into the trolley, the bill seems to get higher every week when you get to the checkout. 
It is, and and, and I always look at the CSO figures, and even in, in again just in June, um, inflation was a little bit ten percent, but prices over the month inched up another point one percent. Only a small increase, but they still went up because, of course, there's been lots of news and headlines about Tesco or super value decreasing the price of cheese but 10 cents or whatever or milk you know and I think a lot of that is just um it, 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 they're just doing it to try and make it look like prices are dropping more than they are and um you know I find myself I go around the supermarket and yes I see the milk the cheese has gone down by 10 or 20 percent as they said it would but then you get to you know the cereal aisle and it's gone up 50 cents you get to the shampoo aisle and it's gone up yeah. Euro. Oh, so don't talk to me about toiletries. Off. They are gone through. Yeah. The, the deodorant has just gone through the roof. We're all yeah, we'll all yeah. be smelly uh, soon enough. Yeah. The prices of it has just gone crazy. And of course, uh, and I know we spoke about it last week, the week before. The 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 drink, the demon drink, is Diageo. Uh, their prices. It's the middle yeah. of August. There, all the pints are going up. Yeah, four cent, and that's on the back of a twelve cent increase. Um, listen, like Spotify, it's not an essential purchase, but we all like to socialise, and sometimes we need a, a stiff drink to get us through the week or <laughs> to get over the week. Um, so that's probably the last thing people want to see as well. And of course, Patricia, mortgage rates are going up as well. Um, and ECB just increased rates again. Um, so tracker customers have really felt the brunt of us. But if anyone has a mortgage and they're on a variable rate, you're probably going to see that rate go up again over the next few weeks and as well if you're on a fixed rate uh, because obviously the fixed rate doesn't change for the few years that you have it so if it's a five-year fixed rate it won't change for those five years but people who are on fixed rates and who have only maybe let's say a year or 18 months remaining on the fixed rate they really need to start budgeting for higher repayments because when they come to the end of that fixed rate they are going to be faced with much higher rate options and I think that's something that a lot of people aren't prepared for. Okay so it's all about budgeting for, for the those increases. Listen, Dara, uh, thanks as always. You're always a mine of information and we enjoy chatting to you. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good Thank morning you. to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Dara Cassidy of the price comparison website bonkers.ie and unfortunately, Dara, didn't have a lot of good news for us today. While looking out the window as I was about to go to bed, I saw the biggest and brightest moon I think I have ever seen. And to explain all about this super moon that's around at the moment, I'm joined by David Moore, Editor-in-Chief of Astronomy Ireland uh, magazine. Good morning to you, David. Good morning. And and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, explain to us why the moon is so big and so bright at the moment. Well, it's a super moon, which means a moon, full moon, that happens when the moon is at its closest to Earth. So the two just happen to coincide. And in fact, it's the first, the second of four super moons that we're going to get this year. And when is it the, it was cloudy now last night, unfortunately, when I tried to, uh, to look at it and fingers crossed it mightn't be cloudy tonight. When is the best time of the night to view it? Well, the, the best time is actually when it rises, just after 10 o'clock this evening. And the reason for that is that there's another effect as well as the moon actually being 30% brighter than normal. And that's a thing we call the moon illusion, which is where it looks bigger than it actually is. But it's only an optical illusion. It isn't actually any bigger. And that can actually be even more impressive than the fact that it's the supermoon. So when you combine the two together, the moon possibly looking bigger because of the illusion and the fact it really is a bit bigger, uh, you get the best moon you're likely to see in your life. Is it common at this time of year? Somebody was talking about, is it an autumn moon? 
Uh, yeah, there is a, of course, a full moon every year. Sorry, every month, moon. That's where the word month comes from. There were 12 full moons a year, so the calendar got split up into 12 different months. We still use that today, even though we've long forgotten about where it came from. And uh, the August moon is called, properly known as the Sturgeon moon, after Native American culture where there were more sturgeon, apparently, in the Great Lakes at this time of year. So we'll get, by the way, a supermoon every year. Um, but uh, in fact, we'll get several of them for this year. So we just this is our second one. And we'll have another one at the end of August, which is extra special, because it's the blue moon as well. And then the last one in September, the harvest moon. Okay, what, what is that blue moon that you're talking about for the end of, uh, the end of uh-huh. this month? Yeah, well, it, the moon goes around the Earth uh, 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 and appears full every 29 and a half days. So if you have a full moon on the first of the month, especially a month with 31 days in it, you can just about squeeze an extra full moon in at the end of the month. And that's what's going to happen this, this month in August. We've got the full moon on August the 1st, and there'll be another one the night of the 30th into the 31st as well. So there are two full moons in this month, which only happens every two and a half years or so. And we call the second moon in a calendar month a blue moon because it's that rare. Once in a blue moon, the old expression. Mm. So that blue moon in August of this year, 2023, will also be a super moon. So super blue moons, <laughs> just to confuse you even more, are extremely rare. The last one was 2009. Next one's 2032. So they come roughly once a decade. So that's one definitely to look out for at the end of the month. And all this is in Astronomy Island magazine every month. Somebody wants to know, does David believe that full moons affect people's moods? There have been various studies done on this. And certainly in ancient times, there could have been an effect. Because I remember once being out in the countryside during a total eclipse of the moon. So the moon vanishes. It drops by a factor of a million. It's practically gone to all intents and purposes. And just before the full moon, an hour before, or before the eclipse, sorry, the moon is full. So it was lighting up the entire landscape, and you could navigate and do a bit of business. That's what the harvest moon is all about in September. But once the moon was totally eclipsed, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. So I think in ancient times before electric light, people who were active at night were, very, were considered somewhat unusual uh, because it was very difficult to do anything outdoors. Uh, today, it's, it's much easier. Of course, most of this in towns and cities where there's lights on all the time, and that's got a much bigger effect than any moonlight does these days. So perhaps it happened in the past, and that's where we get all these ideas of lunacy people uh, and indeed animals howling at the moon. Yeah. Uh, but those effects are a bit lost on us today. Well, the word lunacy comes from lunar. It comes from... Yeah, because... I think um, the, the old wives' tale goes that, you know, people in, as they used to call them, in asylums back, back in the day would howl at the moon like uh, animals do. I mean, if you see this extremely bright object in the night sky that's only there for a few nights, it is unusual and does attract your attention. And, of course, people worship the moon and the sun in ancient times yeah, yeah. because they didn't understand what was going on like we do today. Okay, someone said, uh, would, uh, would David have any tips on how to get a good picture of this full moon, especially if we get a cloudless sky? Oh, definitely, because we want to publish the best Irish photographs of this supermoon in the next issue of Astronomy Island magazine. 
which is a popular level magazine. It's not for scientists, it's for kids and the general public. So uh, do check it out on astronomy.ie. That's our website. It'll tell you where to send your photographs. So some tips are, when you, if you get it when it's rising, so we're talking between 10 and 11 p.m. this evening, try to line it up with buildings, even trees, bits of landscape, sculptures. And some people even line up with family and friends. One trick is always to position your, your kids so that they have their hand apparently holding the mm, moon. Love you those photographs. Yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, to get those. We've had some lovely pictures in already. Uh, someone on the, in the bay in Dublin was photographing across the bay and had a family scene in the foreground and had lined it up just so the moon was sitting on top of a lighthouse. That's a brilliant photograph. So get creative. If you want to cheat, you can actually search online. You'll find lots of tips and ideas that people have done. <laughs> You can have a try recreating those in an Irish setting and then send it in to Astronomy Island magazine. So the magazine will then be, get, get sent to the National Library and archived for all time. Your picture will last forever. Ah, it will outlive this thing we call the internet. That's fantastic. And if you have a telescope knocking around your house at the moment, what else should we be looking out for in the night sky? Oh yeah, there's loads coming up. Next week, the moon is is going to be near the planet Saturn and then the planet Jupiter. Jupiter's bright and all the stars in the sky, and you have to wait till midnight to see that. But this diagrams in the magazine show what, what it will look like to the naked eye. Then coming up on August the 12th is one of the best shooting star showers of the year, and we want everybody to count the number of shooting stars and send them in to us. That's Saturday, August the 12th. There's a special Venus watch happening on August 27th. The biggest star party of the year takes place in the Whitlaw Mountains. So if you haven't got a giant telescope, come and use ours. It's a fundraising event for the Society, September the 9th. Uh, all this is on astronomy.ie. There's an eclipse coming up on the moon in October. Another big shooting star shower in December. Another eclipse of the sun this time early next year. And it just goes on and on. There's always Lots loads to look forward to. If you need any advice, contact Astronomy Ireland. Okay. Astronomy.ie, um, which is a fantastic website. Listen, uh, David, a pleasure as always. Thank you for that. And uh, enjoy the, the weather. Enjoy, thank you, yeah. You too. <laughs> and enjoy the supermoon. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, David Moore, astronomy.ie, editor-in-chief as well of the Astronomy Ireland uh, magazine. I mentioned to David Moore about the supermoon that's there at the moment and are people's moods affected by full moons. Uh, Lucy said, I used to work in the prison service in the UK. We always planned around full moons as we would see an increase in serious incidents such as self-harm and fights amongst the prisoners. For me, there is no question human behaviour is influenced by the lunar cycle and the changing of the moon every month. And, I, and actually, I just did a quick Google search on it. There's so much online about this. The idea that a full moon uh, can stir up emotions, it can provoke bizarre behaviour and even cause physical illnesses and it's a strongly held uh, belief even even today it's been there through all of history there's lots of studies I found one study for example that shows that nearly 81% of mental health professionals believe the full moon can actually make people uh, ill and of course Back in ancient times, and that was something that David Moore, you know, touched on because people used to worship the sun and uh, the moon. And, you know, there would have been little signs uh, to back up what was going on. But they certainly in olden times, they would have seen uh, changes in people's um, 
mental health and how people react to it. But of course, in more modern uh, times, we can now see increases, for example, in emergency room visits. Our mental health unit admissions go up during a uh, full uh, moon. So there's lots of research on the moon's effect on the human body and on our uh, behaviour. Uh, for centuries, physicians and philosophers blamed behavioural changes on the pull of the moon and we know the word lunatic and all that stemmed from that uh, comes from the word moon and is all linked to the lunar uh, cycle. The lunar effect is based on the belief that health and behaviour are altered during specific stages of the lunar cycle with some claiming that it can affect everything from reproductive health to sleep quality and uh, beyond. And actually I've seen some studies where they've showed that and particularly people who might not have the best of sleep patterns but their sleep pattern goes completely out the door when there is a full moon. So keep an eye on that and just see during a full moon do you sleep better or worse? I mean for other people they don't get affected at all but for some people uh, they say that it does and it can actually affect your quality of uh, sleep. As, as I say there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out there where people saying yeah okay competition at time all this week we have teamed up with the Cork Opera House Lord of the Dance Michael Flatley's groundbreaking show Lord of the Dance is celebrating 25 years this year it was first staged back in 1996 and of course it was his follow on uh, to the hugely successful River Dance show but to celebrate the 25th anniversary of uh, the show they have new staging new costumes choreography plans for cutting edge technology and there's also special effects and I'm told it's a remarkable lighting the lighting display is meant to be unbelievable so it is opening at the Cork Opera House this day next week the 9th Wednesday the 9th of August and it's got a five night run in the Opera House and we have a pair of tickets to give away every day here on C103 and what happens on Friday is all of our five daily winners one will get their prize upgraded to a hotel stay a dinner and a pair of tickets now answers it's an A or a B answer you can only do this by text or WhatsApp please to 086 to 103103 and today's question is Lord of the Dance star Michael Flatley was born where is it A Ireland or B the United States Michael Flatley, the star of Lord of the Dance, was born in which country? Was it A, Ireland, or B, United States? If you know the answer, text A or B along with your name and address. And it's important, please, that you put your name and address uh, on it. And text or WhatsApp now to 0862 103 103. We'll leave the lines open, uh, the text open for about 10 minutes, and then we will select our winner because then we'll need to clear the text message uh, lines uh, because of course we'll have Peter Dowdle uh, joining us later on in this hour so if you have a gardening question for Peter hold off texting or whatsapping it because I don't want it to get lost in the middle of all of the competition entries but you can in the meantime call John Paul with a gardening question to 0818 103 103 some of your calls and comments uh, coming in earlier uh, I mentioned how people in Formoy and Mitchellstown Esther joined us on the comment line how they are really worried about the future of the South Stock service in the North Cork area. So there's petitions. They're encouraging people to sign the petition to save the South Stock uh, service. And they're also hoping to meet and uh, by way of a kind of a, a public protest on Saturday outside the library in uh, Mitchellstown, just so that people can put forward 
and, and let the people of South Dock know how important this uh, service is. And that, of course, then led to uh, people talking uh, when I chatted with Esther about it's going to put additional pressure on the South Dock services that are open between 6 in the evening and 8am in the morning. Uh, Mallow being one are the one in uh, Cork City. Somebody wants to point out when people were saying you end up calling an ambulance, there's no no ambulance in Mallow for the weeknight because there isn't staff to cover it, says one uh, texter. And someone else says, Patricia, members of the public, really, we should be all out protesting on the street to try and get the Mallow General Hospital reinstated as a full 24-hour A&E the way it was once upon a time. Uh, that would act as a backup, particularly with the reduction of South Stock services in the area. And, and I know if I mention Mallow General Hospital and the reinstating of a 24-hour A&E, people in West Cork would say we need the very same thing for the wonderful Bantry General Hospital instead of funnelling everybody into the city. And then a listener says, Trish, I was in Spain recently and I unfortunately picked up a chest infection. I was told by somebody, pop into the chemist and they'll be able to look after you. Couldn't believe it, went into the chemist and I was able to buy antibiotics over the counter. Just couldn't believe it. Now they did question me to see what my symptoms were and all of that. But yes, they agreed, yeah, type of antibiotic I needed and I was able to purchase it. Why can't we have a similar system here? It might take pressure off GPs and also take pressure off uh, South Stocks, I, South Stock service. I don't know if we'd ever get to the stage where you could be able to buy an antibiotic and the chemist would be, a pharmacist would be able to administer an antibiotic over the counter. But there are, and we've certainly highlighted on this programme, the Irish Pharmacy Union has been calling, we only did it recently on the programme, have been calling for the pharmacists who are, you know, a highly trained and skilled group of people. They want to be able to back up the GPs. They want to be able to back up the South Stock services. And there are a lot of like minor complaints that the pharmacy could be uh, dealing with. And I know the Irish Pharmacy Union have certainly been fighting uh, for it. And it does sound like that the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, is listening to them. And I think anything that can be done to try to take pressure away from the GP services, we know where we are at with uh, GP services. People are struggling. I mean, you think of the likes of uh, Charleville Town. People are struggling if you move to that area to get a GP that will take you on. And then, of course, they had the additional problem that a doctor doctor's practice closed down. I think it left about 300 patients scrambling to find a GP. Now, if you had a medical card, then the HSC nominated a doctor for you. But it's the private patients who are now travelling well outside of Charleville in order to sign up with a GP, which isn't easy. And I saw John, because I mentioned, this was on the news earlier, and we spoke about it yesterday on the programme. There's a meeting. Well, it's not a meeting. It's kind of an open uh, oh, an information session, I suppose, more than anything. It's going on in Charleville um, Library today. It's on from now until at one o'clock today. People from the OPW are there and they're just answering questions that people may have about modular houses that are going to be built on council land in Charleville and for Ukrainian refugees. Uh, and it was mentioned on our news this morning. John says, it's great to hear the announcement of modular uh, homes for Ukrainian refugees in Charleville. I'm looking forward to hearing when the announcement is is made for modular homes for Irish people who pay taxes here all of their lives. That's from John. And uh, John, I don't know if you were tuned our way yesterday, uh, but certainly that was the thrust of a lot of calls and commentary that came in from people. Well, I think nobody has anything against 
offering, you know, support to the Ukrainian refugees who at the end of the day are fleeing for their lives and many of them have lost their homes and nobody, you know, would stop them get, getting some kind of comfort and refuge in this country. But at the same time, when we have so many of our own homeless people are just wondering what are we doing to house our own our own homeless people. And only last week, the latest figures uh, came out and we've gone over 12,500 people who are, they're not sleeping on the streets. I mean, you will hear some people saying, you know, they, the homeless Irish are sleeping on the streets. There are rough sleepers and there will always be rough sleepers. But there's uh, well over 12,500 people living in hotels and in B&Bs and homeless accommodation and for families, very very difficult uh, to raise a family inside in a hotel room, particularly in the summer months when they don't even have the routine of going to school. My, my heart really goes out uh, to families homeless at the moment trying to find uh, social housing or trying to find affordable private rented accommodation. 0818103103. Spotted an interesting news story coming out of Canada. Anybody out there who is a smoker and thinking of giving up the cigarettes, it seems Canada is now going to be the first country to start printing warnings directly onto individual cigarettes. And this is a bit, obviously, in the main to try to deter young people from taking up smoking. But obviously, they're hoping at the same time that it might encourage people to quit uh, smoking. The warnings will be in English and in French, obviously, the two languages of uh, Canada. And they'll include phrases like cigarettes cause cancer. And another phrase is going to be poison in every puff. And they're actually going to be printed on each individual cigarette. Now, the, the regulations have come in this week, but it's going to take some time now for the manufacturers to put them on to the individual uh, cigarettes. So it is expected by July of next year. Uh, all of the warnings will be, first of all, the tobacco manufacturers have been told they must be on all king size cigarettes sold by July of 2024. And then they have until April of 2025 that all regular size cigarettes and any little cigars with tipping paper and tubes also have to have all of these individual warnings and the phrases will appear by the filter on the cigarette and they'll include warnings about how cigarettes harm children, how they damage your organs, how they can cause impotence and how they can cause things like uh, leukaemia. And it was in May of uh, this year, the Department of Health in Canada introduced these new regulations saying they will make it virtually impossible now if you decide to put a cigarette in your mouth to avoid the health uh, warning. There will be then a second set of six phases will be introduced in 2026 when they feel that the first lot of messages have got through, they'll reintroduce uh, different ones. And it's all part of Canada's efforts to try to reduce tobacco use. They're hoping to get tobacco use less than 5% and the target they've set themselves is 2030. Uh, five. And of course, Canada was the first country to put warning labels on their pack, packs of cigarettes and to put very graphic pictures. They were the first country uh, to do it. They did it in around uh, 2000. Now, other countries, including us here in Ireland, other countries followed suit on that. So they reckon anything that can be done to try to prevent young people from taking up smoking or to encourage those who are smoking to give up. That's what the Canadian Health Authority is doing. They they say that um, tobacco continues to kill 48,000 Canadians uh, every year. And in Canada, the rate of smoking uh, aged 15-year-olds and older is around 10%. Um, and but, but like, again, with all other countries, they're seeing electronic cigarette use and vaping has also started to rise, but they're trying to get their cigarette smoking down to 
five, less than five uh, percent. And I think that's deemed a tobacco free country, isn't it? When you can get the proportion of the population below five percent, because I know it's something we've spoken about trying to do in this country as well. But um, while the numbers of people smoking cigarettes continues to fall, uh, unfortunately, we're not at less than 5% of the population. So will will we follow suit? We've certainly followed suit. We were the first country to introduce the workplace smoking ban. That's other countries have followed us on that. We've certainly followed other countries like Canada with the graphic pictures on the cigarettes. How do people feel about that, about taking out a cigarette and there will be a message on it telling you that it could lead to impotence, telling it, telling you that it can affect your children in your household or that there's poison in every puff? Would it deter people and might just push people to decide to give up cigarette smoking? 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. John Paul taking your calls. And just on... Somebody was on to us about water supply issue in the Clonakilty area. We've contacted Ishka Aaron and they say they're investigating reports as we speak of supply disruptions affecting Clonakilty and surrounding areas. Now they're just investigating. They don't know yet what it is. I mean, it sounds to me like there might be a burst pipe somewhere. But if you're in the Clonakilty uh, area, Ishka Aaron are aware that there's a problem with your water supply. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Freemount's weekly session is on tonight with music by Alan Finn. Admission will be €10 and teas will be served. The Kinsale Triathlon Club 5 Mile Road Race is taking place on Friday. Now places are limited so you can sign up through the Kinsale Regatta's 5 Mile Facebook and their Instagram pages. Castletown Bear Festival by the Sea will open this Friday and it's been launched by the up-and-coming country music singer Effie O'Neill. Fun and games for all the family for the week-long festival and you can see any of their social media for a list of events. And there'll be a car boot sale in Connor. Uh, sports complex this Saturday between 7am in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. All proceeds are going to fund local amenities and Kiss Game GAA Club have their family fun day next Sunday, half one to six. It'll be at the GAA pitch with sprints, novelty races, face painting and ice cream van and uh, music by Anthony Dine from 4pm to 6pm. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A competition winner for Lord of the Dance and heading off to the Cork Opera House is Lucy Lane in Newmarket. Congratulations, Lucy Lane in Newmarket, winning a pair of tickets to Lord of the Dance. It is the 25th anniversary tour and it opens in the Opera House this day, week Wednesday, August the 9th, and it's got a five-night run. Congratulations, Lucy. We have another pair of tickets to go away tomorrow and another pair on Friday. And then on Friday, one of our daily winners gets their prize updated, upgraded to an overnight stay, dinner and a pair of tickets. Now, as we've been hearing all morning on the news, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, is expected to return to our shores next summer. Now, breaking the story is Irish independent uh, journalist Ralph uh, Regal, who has got to be one of Bruce Springsteen's biggest fans. And Ralph joins me. Good afternoon to you, Ralph. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, you were somebody who had a smile on your face writing this uh, story. The minute I saw it this morning, I said, there's nobody happier to hear this news than our Ralph. Okay, tell us what you're hearing and what is expected. Uh, Okay, well, we're expecting confirmation within a couple of weeks, but essentially uh, the dates involved are May the 16th and May the 18th of next year. And they're uh, both at Porky Kiev and... There was a discussion about this at the county board level and all matches or anything to do with the stadium that isn't um, concert related is being cancelled uh, around those dates to facilitate the um, the concert. Now, we also heard that there is discussions ongoing um, about the possibility of other gigs um, in Kilkenny. Now, they're a little bit fuzzier. Nothing is clarified about those, but I would expect them to be nailed down because... Um, Springsteen, of course, played Cork in 2013. He also played Kilkenny. And the word that came back was that he really enjoyed getting outside Dublin and enjoyed the whole vibe around the concerts in Limerick, Cork and Kilkenny, and particularly Kilkenny, because, of course, there were two concerts and it very much lent itself to the whole kind of festival feel uh, in the city. But it, it's great news for Cork. Um, it's a great, new, great news for the tourist trade. Because, of course, Springsteen has a huge international fan base and you're not just talking about, say, people travelling to Cork from Dublin or Galway or Donegal. You're talking about a lot of fans coming from, he'd have bedrock support in places like Sweden, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, the UK. And a lot of those will travel for the Cork gigs. Yeah, because he did play, he played Ireland a couple of months ago. He played Dublin. He did. In actual fact, his, um, his very, he's played 31 concerts in total in Ireland uh, since 1985. Of course, those of us old enough to remember and who were there, um, his first concert, of course, was June 1985 at Slane Castle, um, one of the most legendary gigs ever staged in Ireland. Um, he has very much an affinity for Ireland. He's very proud that he does have Irish roots and he has never had a European tour since 1985 where he's played Europe and he has failed to include the island of Ireland. So last May he played three concerts in the RDS and they sold out within minutes of going on sale uh, in 2022. So we're expecting that when these tickets eventually do go on sale, there's going to be enormous interest. Yeah, there'll be a huge, huge um, uh, scramble. What is it about Bruce Springsteen for you, Ralph? For me, I think it was probably the stars aligned, Patricia, in that I went to the concert June the 1st. I sat my leaving cert 10 days later. Um, it was a partic- it was a spectacular day. It was a fantastic concert. And I think his music, well, first of all, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, nothing would happen if I didn't like his music. But his, his music is just kind of hardcore rock and roll. Um, His manager, John Lando, famously said back in 1974, I think it was, that he had seen the future of rock and roll and it was Bruce Springsteen. And it just crosses so many different boundaries. He's a hugely talented artist. He does folk, he does country. He, his last album actually was an album of soul covers. So he doesn't restrict himself to any one genre. But if I was to answer it on my own behalf, it's because his music has probably been one of the central threads to my life. All of the great things that have happened in my life, somewhere or other, Springsteen's music has been there. So in many ways, it's kind of been the soundtrack of my life. Yeah. So it's just very special. Yeah, yeah. How many times have you seen him live? <laughs> I have to be very careful saying this, Patricia, because I'm I'm trying to stay one head uh, one step ahead of the uh, the psychiatric assessment okay. brigade, <laughs> and my wife my wife reckons that I need urgent um, assessment for obsessive compulsive disorder. But um, I'm at 41 at this stage. 
and that and that one, is not- yeah but that is the one thing about Bruce Springsteen fans that that, that you spoke about you've like those 41 concerts obviously weren't all in Ireland you've travelled to see the man yeah I have and I, I'm not alone in that I mean I, you know there, there's so many great friends of mine around Ireland and would go to some of the foreign concerts and um, I'm fortunate enough in that I've seen him in the States a couple of times. Um, I've, I've, I've been to him in the UK. I've been to him in, in quite a few European countries as well. But but it's nice to be able to say that amongst the most special atmospheres you'll ever get at a Springsteen gig are the Irish audiences. Because I think the Irish, the Spanish, the Italian audiences, there's a, there's a, a really strong appreciation of music, of fan involvement, of an artist that really is giving it everything on stage. And Springsteen, he's going on 74. He's not able to do the four-hour concerts that he was famous for, say, 10, 20 years ago. But like for a man in his 70s, he still performs for three hours. And he will do between 27 and 29 songs. There's no breaks. There's no costume changes. What you get on stage is his effort to give you value for money for um for your ticket. And it's always a very honest performance. He always gives everything that he has on stage. And I think it's the, the, the longevity of his concerts. You have some people who grew up to say the, the whole Born in the USA album mm. and, and the songs associated with that. Some of the other fans, it goes back to say Born to Run from 1975, Darkness on the Edge of Town in 1978. And then there's a whole generation of new fans that have come on since the rising uh, back in, I think it was 2001, 2002. And a lot of the newer albums have brought people um, to him. So you do get kind of, of age. So I say that um, one of my daughters spoke with me. She said that um, the, the, the one danger is that she, she was afraid that she wouldn't lose me at the concert <laughs> because she said if she was looking for a middle-aged, overweight, bald man, <laughs> she said there'd be literally tens of thousands to try and pick from. <laughs> I, I and I actually I saw the photograph of you with your daughter at the at the concert in in May and I and I also have saw so many photographs of dads with daughters, dads with sons. Yeah, you know that it is crossing the generations, and I think there's something really special about that. It, it is, and I think it, it 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 music is is one of the great unifiers in you know in amongst human beings, and I think particularly in Irish society, one of the great strengths in Ireland is that we really do have an appreciation of the arts, and you know whether it be sculpture, whether it be theatre, whether it be music, it it almost speaks to the soul of Irish people, and I think Irish audiences really appreciate an artist that has that's operating at the top of their game. And particularly an artist that tries to involve the audience in the performance, which Springsteen always does. And it was lovely to see, you know, generations going to these things that I saw one family. There was three generations, actually. There was a grandfather, there was a mother and a daughter, and they were all wearing the same type of T-shirts. And it was lovely to see. Oh, that's fantastic. Have you ever interviewed him? No, and I uh, think at this stage I prefer not to, uh, Patricia. If I'm honest, because they say they say never um, meet your heroes. Yeah, and I think he's played such a his music. I mean, I danced to one of his songs at my wedding back in 1993. Um, myself and my wife, we went to Springsteen when we were courting. Um, as I said, I went to Slane in '85, just days before I set my leaving cert. And um, some of the 
you know, the happiest days of my life have been played out to a kind of a Springsteen soundtrack. So even though he is, by by all accounts, that I know people that um, David McCullough and RT has interviewed him a couple of times. David's a good buddy of mine. And David will say, like, he's one of the nicest guys you'd ever hope to meet. But I just, at this stage of my life, I prefer almost not to run the risk. Yeah, keep him as that hero status that that, that he has. And and I have to say, anytime I've seen him in interview, interviews, he does come across as just such a, a genuinely really, really nice uh, guy. Uh, OK, so we wait. Do you reckon it'll be a few weeks before it's confirmed? I'd say it will, Patricia. I mean, if you go, if you look at the concerts that happened in May of this year, and um, those tickets went on sale in June and July of uh, 2022. So if those concerts are going to happen next May, I'd say you're looking at probably a confirmation announcement within a couple of weeks. Um, Springsteen finished his year. He was touring Europe for three months. And he finished his tour in Monza in Italy um, just last week. And all the social media um, and screens were covered with, we'll be back. So we're expecting a major second leg tour in Europe um, next summer. And it looks very much like the Irish concerts will again form the opening leg of that tour. So I would say confirmation of dates within a couple of weeks and I'd say the tickets will go on sale very shortly after okay, that. He has no plans to retire for sure. Uh, listen, thank you for that um, Rav and I should just want to have you because it's my first opportunity to talk to you since you lost your gorgeous mother. I was really saddened to hear it. She was a lovely, lovely lady so once again condolences to you and the family. Thanks Patricia and she was a huge fan of the show. Your uh, show was very much part and parcel of my mum's life every day the show was on so thanks to your, for your kindness your kind words and your kindness to her over the yeah, years that's, listen th- thanks for that Ralph look after yourself uh, God bless that is uh, the wonderful Ralph Regal from the Irish Independent uh, confirming well not confirming but the speculation is that the boss is going to return to uh, Porky Creeve and of course he did as Ralph said he did last play there in 2013 but he will be going back to a very new uh, Porky Creeve uh, this time which would be fantastic looking like May 16th and uh, 18th and he puts on a crack of a uh, concert and actually talking to somebody else who puts on a really good concert everybody talks about Beyonce and uh, how good if you've ever been to a Beyonce concert it's meant to be uh, amazing but there's a bit of criticism and I have to say I kind of agree with this criticism doing the rounds if this isn't greed I don't know what is but um, Beyonce has put on what are called listening only tickets it's for her up and coming US uh, concerts the tickets are on sale for $156 which is about 140 Euro. The tickets are for seats located behind the stage and it gives concert goers no opportunity to see the singer. It's part of the Renaissance World uh, Tour. It's her first solo tour since 2016. The star, of course, is well known. Anyone's ever been to a concert. She puts on these very elaborate stage shows. She's elaborate props. She's got all the dazzling costume uh, changes. Uh, but they've decided to offer they can put seats in behind the stage you won't be able to see her at all you just get to hear her so it's a listening uh, only I saw one lots of fans by the way are giving out about this one said the whole point of going to a concert is seeing her in person and watching the spectacle of the production it's ridiculous if I only wanted to hear the concert sure I'd just stand outside in the car park it does seem like a little bit of greed though because Forbes estimate that the Renaissance World Tour will earn uh, Beyonce Two billion through a combination of tickets and merchandising uh, sales. Would you pay $156 to go to a listening only concert where you sit? You can hear what's going on, but you can't see. 0818 103 103. We're going to turn our attention to uh, gardening. Peter Dowdle uh, is joining us. If you've got a question for Peter, you can get it in now by text or WhatsApp to 086 
to 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. C103. And I'm delighted to say Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener.com, is back from his Hollybobs and he joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? And we hope you're nice and rested. Did you get away or did you just have a break locally or what did you get up to? We were over in northern Italy, so thankfully away from the extreme heat. But um, I, do, I don't know. Apparently, the, the the storm one of the nights made the news over here. The, we had the, the hailstones the size of kind of golf balls falling from the sky. So it was um, that was that was a bit eerie. But uh, it, it's good to be back. Good to be home. And boy, I, I saw video footage of them. It actually looked like it could damage you if you got hit by one of them. Oh, it, it, there, there was one poor girl, a 16-year-old girl camping nearby who was killed that night, unfortunately. Oh. God rest her. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that, like all... All, all. It, it was very, very um, damaging. Like there was huge amount of damage done in in the area where we were. Cars written off, left, right, and centre. No, not written off. Sorry, but you know, windscreens damaged, and back, yeah. back windows and and roofs. Pa- the panel beaters and windscreen replacement people in Italy will be busy for the next twelve months. Uh, and me. like, if you think about it, though, you've a golf something the size of a golf ball falling from I don't know how many hundred or thousand feet. Like, if it landed on your head, it landed on plenty of outdoor lights and shattered them. So, if it landed on your head, I wouldn't. Yeah, and there's you know, so, it's a solid ball of ice. It's rock solid. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. I mean, the damage they caused when they hit the ground was was significant. It was, you know. You hear about it in the news, but it's actually when you're looking at it and you're watching it, and I, you know, I actually got a bit on my own phone. Of- outside where we were staying and the, the hailstones falling on it, it just looked like it was being blanket bombed. It was amazing to watch, but gladly, thankfully rather from the, the safety of indoors. Yeah, yeah. And if we, we, we go from one extreme to the other, then we've got all those horrendous uh, heat waves, even though they seem to be abating. Uh, thank God. But it's just, it's climate change. We we have to wake up it to is. it. Yeah, we have to without the, the, the recently have come to know agreement either I don't know what's we're, we're kind of walking into this with our eyes wide shut as the fella says Okay let's get straight into questions uh, I guess there's a lot of questions in firstly we sent you on this picture uh, and it's just sent on a picture for us to send on to Peter which we got in in time saying why are my white hydrangeas turning brown and they've all turned very brown um, all other colours are fine it's just the white hydrangea also can I cut back a magnolia that has gone too big from where I planted it thanks in advance that's from Margaret no, I did for once manage to have a look at the photograph okay. before I came on air. So I have seen it uh, and it's actually just caused by rain and the white hydrangeas, the white mop head hydrangea. Uh, and they do tend to just where you have your pinks and blues and, and purples, they kind of tend to go nice autumnal colours as as the, the season finishes before they go brown. The whites don't. They really just go brown. And that's just that's just the way it is. Some of the whites, which are without getting too far into it, your your limelights and polar bears and vanilla frays and things like this, they're a different type. They're not a mop head. They're a paniculata hydrangea, which is more cone-shaped flower. They do go, they have the lovely reds and auburn colours as they fade, but the mop head whites just really go from white to brown and that's expedited by the amount of rain we've had. So so that's that. There's nothing, there's nothing to worry about is the good news, but I suppose the bad news, if you want to call it that, is that's what the white one will do every year, unfortunately. Uh, in terms of your magnolia stellata and cutting it, back they can get quite big i mean in terms of magnolias they're 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 relatively low but they can be quite a big shrub 
in a garden. You can cut them back now, but you are, if you cut them back now, the next year's flower buds are, are either on them already or will be on them soon. So you will be sacrificing um, next year's flowers in the spring by pruning now, but you won't harm the plant. So don't worry if you need to. If you can wait, why not? Le- wait, leave it flower next year. And then just after the flowers have finished, which probably be sometime in early April, mid-April, cut them back then. Uh, but as I say, if you do want to do it now, you're not going to harm the plant. You're just not going to have flowers next spring. Okay, somebody says, does Peter know, is there a system in place in Ireland for recording the bee population? And does he think bee numbers have dropped significantly just based on gardens that he has visited lately? Based on gardens I've visited, I'd merely be inclined to say no, but that's probably because a lot of the gardens I visit are making efforts to to, to plant, you know, um, bee-friendly plants. But the statistics will say yes. So, I mean, the statistics say we have 99 bee species in Ireland uh, and I think it's about 30% of them are in severe decline. So the the answer to the question, is there a place to record it? Yes, there, the, the National Biodiversity Centre, which do great work based up in Waterford, they, are, they have a website, a very good website. It's off the top of my head. I think it's called biodiversity.ie. But a quick Google search will, will find at the National Biodiversity Centre. And they're always looking for sightings and recordings of any insects. Uh, and it's a great resource anyway, uh, in terms of they, they have great publications and they have great things to read, but they're also great at helping to... The, the, to give ideas as to how we can help to promote biodiversity. And then, as I say, they, they have places to record sightings, yes. Okay, somebody else, back to hydrangeas, says, why did my why have my hydrangeas not flowered? They were pruned correctly, this listener says, uh, about eight years ago, and I haven't had flowers since. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. If they haven't had flowers since, that's, that's, um, that's a long time to be waiting. I would say... I would hazard a guess and say it's it's a lack of a particular nutrient in the soil like potassium or phosphorus. It could also be that the the, the hydrangeas ideally like a, a moist soil, a damp soil in a semi-shaded position, which means obviously it's getting a bit of sun and a bit of not full sun. That's their ideal location, though obviously, as we all know, they tend to do pretty well wherever we plant them. But I would say in this case, it sounds like before they were pruned, they were flowering. So it's not, which would lead me to think it's not the wrong location in terms of aspect, but that it, the soil could have become depleted in potassium or something like this. So I would say try, it's probably, I'm afraid, too late for this year, but don't prune. And maybe next year in the spring, from from the spring onwards, rather, you could start feeding those hydrangeas. I don't, I'm always a, a huge fan of just incorporating good organic matter around a plant and that will start to... to to improve and and increase the nutrient levels of whatever nutrient is needed. So even well-rotted farmyard manure, seaweed, homemade compost, any good organic matter that you can incorporate in around the base of the plant will help. But uh, you could specifically go with with, um, a a high-potassium tomato feed or something like that as well from the springtime. So let's say from March onwards and see if that will promote flowers. I would say it will, but of course the thing is with gardening, it's it's the main word of gardening, then it's patience. So yeah. it's, it is going to be trial and error and realistically you're going to have to wait 12 months to see if that works or not. But I think it probably will. Okay, so it all seems to be hydrangeas today. Uh, Peter, help please. I have a hydrangea, fully grown, lovely green leaves but no flowers. I think I might have pruned it too hard last year. Should I cut it back now? That's exactly what they've done. They've forgotten the number seven. 
they have the seven nodes. I'd say they have, if you cut it back too hard, provided it's not something like the previous question where it's eight years waiting, uh, which is a different different issue, as I say. It, it probably is just a question of you pruned it back too hard. I wouldn't cut it back at all now this year or, or next spring. Wait till it flowers again, which will hopefully be next year. But I'd say you should be fine if you just cutting it back too hard will only should only lead to a, a temporary loss of flowers. Yeah, I, I have to say I did it one year and the following year it came back in full flowers. Yeah, so uh, yeah. fine. Um, Eileen has a problem with a potted peony rose, seven years old. It hasn't flowered this year. This year makes it sound like it has flowered in previous years. Yeah. So uh, I, I would say it's pot bound. So it, it, when something is growing in a pot, obviously the, the amount of nutrients available to it are very finite. So you do need to get that into either a bigger pot if, if planting into the ground isn't an, an option. But ideally, you would plant it into the ground where the roots can can go far and wide and get their own nutrients. But I'd say that I, I would be 99% sure that's the problem, that it's it's just run out of, of nutrients in the pot. Okay, Dennis planted a lawn uh, six weeks ago. He's already managed to have two cuts of it, but he's now noticing a lot of weeds coming up in the lawn. Now, his question is, would you know of a spray for the lawn for the weeds? Now, I know you're straight away not going to suggest a spray for it. I'm not, no, absolutely, because uh, I don't think we should be spraying in inverted commas, weeds in the lawn. Most of the weeds that will come up in the lawn anyway are going to be annual weeds. So... Uh, just mowing them will, will get rid of them. But I certainly wouldn't encourage blanket bombing, putting nasty chemicals over a big lawn area, which will do far more harm than good. Um, if if there's a few persistent perennial weeds, you know, just go out there with a hand trowel or a shovel and get rid of them. But mowing, regular mowing, will get rid of most of the annual weeds. So, no, I, I wouldn't be a fa- in favour at all of putting a, a weed killer on it. Um, my friend' uh, garden is covered in the most gorgeous, different species of uh, butterflies. Uh, I'd love the same. What's good for attracting butterflies into the garden? Weeds in the lawn. <laughs> Going back is to the it? last question. Yeah. Uh, well, well, some of the absolutely some of those wildflowers which we'd have in the lawn would be great uh, for attracting wildflower or for attracting butterflies. But other plants outside of the lawn, uh, one plant that's in flower at the moment and it's a ma- magnet for butterflies and it's agastache or licorice root. It comes in different sh- uh, flower colours. It's lovely different shades of blue and you've oranges. But agastache really is a fantastic one for for butterflies. Another one, of course, is budlia, the butterfly bush. But uh, be careful because it is overly vigorous. So do, do be careful on which variety you get. Um, cat mint or napita is another good one. Uh, you know, I know any farmers listening will curse me for saying this, but if there's ragwort in the our, our horse owners or, or you know animal owners, because I know it's it's a very damaging to 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 livestock. But actually, in terms of attracting butterflies, ragwort is is a fabulous plant. Um, from that point of view. Uh, other ones you could, any of the bright flowering, a lot of the bright flowering ones rather at the moment will, will be tra- attracting them. Sedums are another one. There's loads out there at the moment, but those five or six that I've just mentioned there, I would say would certainly be my, my top ones for butterflies. Okay, John, uh, his potato leaves are gone yellow. He sprayed them three times for blight. He's wondering, is it now blight? And when is the best time to take them up? I would say take them up now. It's certainly not drought anyway. That's without question. So I would say... Uh, it's most likely the first signs of blight um, and I, I haven't really been paying attention particularly being as I've been away for the last couple of weeks but with the weather we've been having I'd say blight is going to be a problem this year um, so I would say lift them now sooner rather than later 
Okay, Burr has a question for Peter. Who, she's new to growing roses. She has a climbing rose and the buds are dying before the flower opens. She's wondering also, should the brown stalk that grows from some of my roses, should they be cut back? Yes, the brown stalks sounds like they're dead. So if, if, if they're brown as opposed to green, I would cut them off. Yeah, because when you leave dead growth uh, on, on a plant, that's that's an ideal place for fungal infections and bacterial infections to grab a hold and to get into the plant. Uh, and what she's describing, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but the, the where the buds die before they open, that is a fungal infection that, it, that affects roses. So what I would say is... Um, don't be disheartened is the first thing if you're new to roses because roses aren't always that hard, that much hard work. They're, they're normally easy enough, but this year has been an exceptionally wet July, as we all know, which will lead to problems with many plants and in particular roses. So it is a fungal problem. What I would do is prune off the buds that are looking like that they're not going to open, prune them off, give it a good rose food, give it, give the, 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 root, the roots of the plant, give them a good rose food to, to uh, increase the vigour and increase the health of the plant. And uh, also get some copper sulfate. It's my go-to kind of weapon in the arsenal, if you like, when it deals dealing with fungal infections in roses. Uh, drench the soil and some of the plant with the, the, the copper sulfate mixed with water, and that will hopefully control the fungal infection. And then cross your fingers and pray for a bit of fine weather, which I believe is coming next week. So hopefully. We'll, we'll, we'll hold you to that. Peter, thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat next week. A pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for that. That right. is uh, Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com. I'm Bruce Springsteen with my chat with Ralph Regal. Somebody said, great news, Bruce Springsteen. Coming to Cork, but wait and see. The hotels will rip us off. Hopefully not. And someone else says, great news about Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Patricia, my sister is a huge fan and she invited me to his concert in Dublin some years ago. Wasn't a big fan at the time, but I was surprised that I actually knew the words of most of the songs just from listening to them on the radio and I was able to join in. The atmosphere at the concert was electric from seeing it with my own eyes I can confirm what Ralph was saying that Bruce's fans love him and he truly loves his fans he wants to give his all at his concert likewise he treats his wife and the band members on stage with him with great respect and admiration I went to that concert as my sister's companion but I left as a Bruce Springsteen fan what a performer what a voice what a lovely man what's not to love roll on me that's where I've got to wrap it up uh, for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Enjoy the rest of your day. Court Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.